Hello and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart, and in this episode, I'm going to start what will probably be a multi-episode series. Um, there's some new technology kind of coming into the Sitecore space. It's been around a while, um, and I kind of wanted to bring it up on the podcast because I think it's going to become more and more important in the life of folks that use Sitecore, and, and that technology is containers. Um, and before all the non-technical people check out, uh, I do promise to keep this kind of high level um, just to get a sense of what are containers. I think you, if you're part of the Sitecore community, you're going to see a lot of buzz uh, or may have seen a lot of buzz in the past I'm going to say nine months or so, um, uh, regarding containers. Um, containers are, um, containers are a way of hosting Sitecore, um, and the various components that are required to run the product. So, um, before we kind of dive into what containers are, we, we kind of have to look at the history of how you deployed websites in general. I've been around for quite a while, and I, I think I've mentioned in times in the past, I used to work for Microsoft uh, as part of their field organization. And I think back to, say, the early 2000s, say, yeah, we'll go, I think it would have been 2002, 2003. Um, as part of the field and part of the sales team, uh, we did, we'd bring account, uh, different accounts out to uh, Redmond, Washington, uh, for what's known as an executive briefing. Um, and so that would be getting the executives of, you know, a particular Microsoft customer out there, um, to kind of hear, you get a, get a sense of a roadmap, meet with folks from the product teams, um, kind of a, you know, a little higher touch, um, a little higher touch meeting, um, for folks to kind of understand where Microsoft's going. And, and I distinctly remember back then we would have folks come in from the Microsoft.com team. And so keep in mind, this was again, probably the very early 2000s. And um, I remember the Microsoft.com team explaining how they would bring uh, a new server uh, into their load balanced pool. Um, so Microsoft.com to this day still is, you know, I don't know where it is and it varies, but it's in the top 10 of trafficked websites. And back then it was certainly top five. And they got an incredible, incredible amount of traffic. And at the time, I remember them saying they were running 80 front-end web servers, which, you know, you have to think of the time. It was almost, almost 20 years ago. That was, that was a, a, an amazing amount of front-end servers to be running on. And they were all physical servers. They were, uh, you know, physical servers that came in a box from a manufacturer, had to get racked into a rack, hooked up to power, um, have all of their software installed. And uh, during one of the briefings, Microsoft.com was, you know, that, that team was talking about how they used to provision a new server. So, you know, if they had a server go down or if they had, um, they needed to add more capacity, they would have to order from a hardware vendor, a physical computer uh, that that computer would come into a test bench. They had a uh, a CD at the time that they would load into that that would you know boot up the computer and they had it incredibly incredibly automated but it was still a very very manual process of 
getting the operating system installed on the server, getting all of the software uh, that runs Microsoft.com, including you know Internet Information Server at the time, and and all of the static assets and code that ran behind the the, the site, getting that all online. And I I seem to remember a, a figure of it taking them four hours. Um, from taking a server out of the box, getting power to it, dropping the CDN, having it boot, having it, you know, install the operating system and all of the various and sundry bits and pieces. Um, at the time that was state of the art and it was four hours to provision a new server. And that just got it up and running. Then they had to actually physically carry that into the data center where all the other servers lived. They had to hook it up to the network. Uh, add it to the load balancer. And the, the reason, you know, I kind of bring this up is that, um, this, this process really hasn't changed over the years, but in terms of kind of what you need to do, you need an operating system, you need a web server, you need your, your software that's going to run the website. That all needs to get installed. It's just, it's gotten faster. And so what, what is some of the innovation? been over the years that has made that faster and and not as difficult. Um, probably the first of which was virtualization. Um, if I recall correctly, VMware was one of the first companies to come out with this software that you would run on your computer um, and it would create a, a virtual environment. And then you could mount, uh, mount a disk in there and boot up. And then that computer thought it was itself. It was, it was, it was its own computer. It had no idea of the host system it was running on. Um, and so that allowed you to uh, install uh, the operating system on top of another operating system. Or if you were running, uh, you know, say you're running on a, a Windows machine, you could boot up a, another computer and install a, a flavor of Linux to have Linux running uh, on there. It had its own virtual networking. Um, and this eventually made its way into production systems where you'd have very, very large, uh, very large servers running nothing but virtualization software. So you still had these physical servers sitting somewhere, um, but then it was running um, some form of virtualization that then allowed you to provision new machines on there. And these were virtual machines. And this is where, this is where the industry kind of dug in and advanced. Uh, and this led to what most of us typically think of the cloud today. There's a, you know, there's a classic sticker sits on my notebook. Actually, my daughter stole one to put on her tablet that basically says there is no cloud. It's just somebody else's computer. And that's, that certainly is the case. I mean, basically you've got this virtualization software running. Um, and if you look at something like Amazon AWS or Microsoft Azure, um, Rackspace to a certain point, they offered these, this ability to get these virtual servers. Um, and you would configure that you would want, you know, say four CPUs and so much RAM and so much disk. Um, and they built a lot of automation around that. Um, open source projects came out around, uh, coordinating all that. And then basically they would sell off these virtual computers for you to host your website on or run your line of business server. Um, you know, since you, as, as Sitecore, uh, as, as folks in the Sitecore community, we're kind of focused on websites mainly. And, um, these servers, then you could have multiple, multiple servers running again behind some sort of load balancer, balancing the load across uh, several different servers. So 
you know, if we look at that, that was, that was a big point of innovation. And so what are some of the downsides of that? If we look at, if we have to install, we install this, what's the, the, the software, the virtualization software uh, is known as a hypervisor. And so uh, you may see that term that basically it is marshalling the resources of the physical system, the physical hard drives and memory and CPU that are on, you know, some machine, you know, that other person's computer uh, that lives somewhere. Um, the hypervisor is marshalling the resources across all these virtual machines. And so if you look at every time we want a new machine, we have to install a whole version of the operating system. And if that's Windows, you're getting, you know, you're getting the network stack, you're getting uh, Windows Explorer, you're getting Calculator, you're getting Minesweeper and Solitaire, if those are still uh, installed. A whole bunch of stuff that as a web server, we may not necessarily need. Um, but, you know, the, the website wants to run um, on, on IIS. IIS needs to run on Windows, so we install all of Windows. So we've got kind of this, if, if you've got, say, a physical machine that's running, let's, let's pick a number of, of six virtual machines, you, at, the, at the base, you've got whatever it takes to get that hypervisor running, whether it's VMware, VMware installs as its own operating system, or it could be Windows running Hyper-V, or, or there's, a, there's a bunch of different products out there, but it's, it's important to know that there's the host operating system and then this hypervisor. And then for every machine we want on there, if we're going to separate our applications, so you know, if we think of in, in, in Sitecore terms, um, say it's uh, our, our content delivery server, uh, and we want four of these, um, and we want them separate, we're going to install four versions of Windows on each one of those virtual machines. Again, a copy of everything that comes with Windows, all the Windows update tooling, the, you know, the Windows Explorer, all, all, you know, all the control panel stuff, all that's uh, duplicated four times. And then we install our application and then you know, we go about running our application. So I would say Docker is one of the more common container services that you'll hear about. And what um, if we, we kind of step back and look at what it's doing, if, if we want to run a web server, um, and let's just say it's something simpler, we're going to run a WordPress blog. Uh, if we look at what, is, what does WordPress need to run? Well, it needs a web server, whether that's Apache or Nginx, and it needs a database, which is usually MySQL. Um, so now if we want to run more than one WordPress instance, we might have uh, a virtual machine running Apache, a virtual machine running MySQL, and then we got another one running Apache, another one running MySQL. And we've got, we've got copies of each of those that are duplicated uh, on all of those. So what Docker does in, in this container um, kind of daemon that runs these containers basically looks at all the stuff that you need to run that. So what is that? What does the web server need? Well, it really just needs access to the network stack um, to, to serve out stuff on, on whatever port it's listening on, usually port 80 or 443. And, um, it doesn't need all that other stuff. You know, it maybe needs, it, it needs to get at the disk to get at the, the files. Uh, if we're running WordPress, it's going to need PHP in order to interpret the files. Uh, if we're a more traditional .NET uh, servers, we're going to need ASP.NET or, or ASP.NET core. 
Um, so we're going to need kind of our libraries, but we, we don't need another copy of calculator. We don't need another copy of notepad. Um, we really just need those things. So what Docker does is actually allow you to run a containerized version of your application and it gets only the resources it needs. Um, so we can run, uh, and if we run more than one application that needs the same resource, it's only installed once. Um, so now we go back, you know, we rewind to 2002 and the state of the art at that point was the Microsoft.com operations team being able to rack and put a new server into a load balance pool in say four to six hours um, now with Docker, if we have that container resource already there, we're talking seconds for that new web server to come up to speed. Um, so we can say, I just, I need a new Nginx, um, instance. Uh, it will download, uh, if it's not already local, a containerized version of Nginx, run it up. Um, it, uh, Docker assigns has a kind of its own virtual networking, um, subsystem and then allows you to allows you to basically provision a new instance of that in seconds. So we've gone from uh you know we've got to have the prerequisites installed, right? So we've got to have an operating system there. We've got to have a um you know we've got to have Docker installed. Uh and on Windows, you know, your your typical Windows desktop, you're gonna run something called Docker desktop um, to be able to host these containers. But now um, now we can provision and spin up these new services um, incredibly fast, literally within seconds. So how does this relate to Sitecore? Um, I think uh, if we go back to, I believe it was last September, so September of 2019, Sitecore, there have been people trying to get Sitecore to run within containers for quite a while. There was, uh, I, I distinctly remember a presentation at SugCon North America back in 2016. Um, there were some folks presenting on getting Sitecore running in, in, in a Docker container. Um, and then, you know, th- th- there's been an effort within the community to get this working. Sitecore took notice and, like I said, back last September, um, made it an official support policy that they will support Sitecore running within a containerized environment. Now, it doesn't mean they'll give you all the stuff in order to run in a container, but if you run into a Sitecore issue and want to log uh, uh, log a ticket with Sitecore support, as long as that issue is reproducible outside of a container, um, they'll um, they'll accept that ticket and help you troubleshoot and potentially come up with a hot fix or or what have you, which is which is a pretty big deal. I, I again I go back to my time at Microsoft. Um, I was there right around the time that this virtualization uh, technology came out, and for the longest time, Microsoft wouldn't support some of their products running in virtualized on virtualized hardware. Uh, or if, if you did, you know, if you wanted to log a ticket with, uh, product support services, you, you had to be able to reproduce this on, on actual physical hardware. So that I would say was the first step. The other step is Sitecore consolidated a lot of this community work, um, that was getting Sitecore to run inside of a container. And 
let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, again, trying to keep this high enough level. If you think about what you need to run Sitecore, um, the install itself runs in IAS. It's, uh, it's basically a giant ASP.NET application that runs uh, in an application pool hosted in IAS. Uh, it connects to a database um, for all intents and purposes. It connects to its own SQL Server databases. Um, it's got some indexes it uses for searching that's hosted within Solar. Um, and so now each of those are kind of, we've got, say, three three classes of application there that we need. We need an IAS server to you know, run the website. Uh, we need a database server um, to host all of our data. And then we need a indexing service uh, to host our indexes for searches. So now with all of those services that we need, we can look at actually spinning up containers for each of those. And, and another beautiful part of, of Docker, unlike where we were running virtual machines and we had to have a copy of everything for every single instance of a virtual machine, we can kind of build up these containers in layers. So at that very base, we need, we need windows. We need, you know, access to some, some uh, some part of the Windows operating system. And Microsoft has containerized Windows uh, quite a bit, starting around the Windows Server 2016 version. Um, and they actually publish versions of these of these containers, containerized versions. There's there's a nano server, there's there's more standard versions of Windows. So we need that. Then we need we need IS. Uh, and then we need SQL Server and we need Solar. Um, so we can build up the, 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 all of these different services we need can share one install of all of this. So the, the actual physical bits that are sitting on the disk get shared. So we're not having four different, you know, installs on Windows, four different, um, versions of IIS. Um, so that, that came about and then as I mentioned, Sitecore consolidated all the community work into a GitHub repo, um, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes. And I think this is, if you're, if you're interested in playing with this, um, which I highly, highly suggest, um, if you're technical at all, uh, I think this is going to be the way of the future for local development. And there have been some presentations, and we're going to hopefully talk to some folks that are looking at this for deploying in production. But this GitHub repo basically combines all of the stuff that you need to run Sitecore within these containers. So it's got, uh, when you're creating a Docker container, uh, one of the things you need to do is tell it what, what are the resources you need. So you know, we tell it we need Windows and we need IAS and we're going to need to be listening on a port uh, so since we're serving up web pages, we need to be on a port. Um, and all of this is contained in a file. These files are, are already built. Um, the, the challenge is getting Sitecore installed into these containers. Uh, and that's what a lot of the work of this GitHub repo is done. So if you were to, uh, actually go to this repo, there are a series of scripts in there that will, um, download all the installs that you'd need to get Sitecore up and running in, an, in any environment. Those get pulled down locally. Um, you do have to provide your credentials that you would normally use to log into Sitecore's site to download that stuff. 
Um, so then it will build up these images based on these recipes that the community has already put together. Um, so you can say, I want to run Sitecore on a particular version of Windows. Um, and I'm not going to get too much into the different versions of Windows just because that's a, that's a moving target. And I want this to be kind of higher level. Um, but say you run a run at the time of this recording in Sitecore 9.3, uh, and you tell it to build up these images. So what it will do is actually reach out to where there are public images for running in uh, a, a Docker container. It will pull those images down, uh, combine them and lay down all of the Sitecore information and get that configured uh, and create an image um, that then you can use to create instances of, of Sitecore. And then there are examples in there. So say if you want to basically fire up a very simplistic install of Sitecore. So say it's 9.3, it's a, you know, you've got four services. Maybe you've got a CD service, you've got a CM service. So your content delivery service, your content management service, uh, you've got a SQL server that's going to run all that. And then you've got uh, your solar instance for all your indexes. So you can tell Docker, I want to start this, this up. That's all contained in a file um, that basically says what services it needs, which containers to use. Docker fires that all up. They run in the background. And now you've got uh, an instance of Sitecore running. Uh, the beauty of this from a developer standpoint is that I didn't need to install IIS locally. I didn't need to install SQL Server locally. All of this stuff is running inside of a container. And what does that really mean? Um, if you've been part of a team, um, I remember we worked on a project for a really large kind of, uh, it's kind of medical equipment uh, manufacturer and uh, they had a big global website. And we would bring on a new developer and onboarding them meant, okay, go out and you know clone the repo of our code so you can get uh, Visual Studio up and running. And then we had, um, we had a Word doc that probably took the better part of a day to step through of like, okay, install Sitecore, um, configure it this way, copy these SQL Server backups to here, uh, you know, get them off this network resource, restore these SQL Server backups, um, get all this. So, so getting your Sitecore environment configured, like I said, took the better part of a day. Um, and now, these recipes for Docker um, are just text files. They're, they're just like any other code. Um, they can be part of your code repo. So in moving to this system, what you can do as a developer, you clone your repo and then you tell Docker to start up the system based on these recipe files that are there. Docker gets everything up and running. And then now you can deploy your code into these containers. And I, I'm not going to get into that. That's, that's, and I think we'll talk about that in a episode down the road. Um, because Sitecore, um, Sitecore is a lot different than say other applications. If you're, you know, writing a application that again uses PHP or you're writing a Node.js application that's using the express server or something like that. Typically, when you do that, you would package your full application into a container, um, into an image for a container, and then deploy that out to some container service like Docker. Um, 
Whereas we've got Sitecore, the code from Sitecore itself running. And then that code, then we need to get our code running alongside Sitecore's code as well. So we've got, you know, our renderings, our different pipelines and so forth, all the different integration points that we use to customize and build out our sites using Sitecore. Um, that's all code that lives side by side with Sitecore. Um, so a couple of the, the, the challenges, and this was uh, where a lot of the great information um, or the great work that was done in this kind of community project to get Sitecore running within Docker. Uh, in this GitHub repo, there are, when, when these images are built, there are tools that are kind of baked into the image that look for, um, look for code on your local disk. Um, and then copy that internally within the container into the running Sitecore instance where it would normally go if you're, if you're used to deploying your code. Um, and so that was a, a major obstacle that they were, you know, that they ran into and then solved in this community instance. Cause the challenge is when a container fires up, um, it does have, uh, you know, it does have access to a local local disk system. The challenge is when the container shuts down, that disk is gone. It's, it's, it's what we call ephemeral. Um, and so if we need to persist data, um, and there's a couple of places we need to do that. One would be our code that needs to go into Sitecore. And two is, is on a database. Um, you know, if we're going to write information to a database, we want it to be there the next time the thing comes up. So uh, Docker allows for something called a volume. And so what we do is we mount some disk on your local system into the disk system inside the container. Um, you know, in the case of these web servers, we uh, mount a, a, a directory, um, which for Windows, we can only mount a directory in there. It's a volume mount can only be a directory. And again, in this, uh, in this GitHub repo, they built it such that it will look for the existence of that directory and copy that into the web root. So your code lives alongside Sitecore. Um, same thing with SQL Server. We mount, uh, a directory inside the SQL Server container. Then we tell SQL to store all of its data and, and log files on that directory such that when it comes down that those files are sitting on your local system. And then when the container comes back up, that gets mounted via this volume mount and all your data is there. So that's kind of a high level. I hope, I, I hope this starts to make sense. And again, this is a big topic. Um, I do plan on having some other guests. Um, there are a lot of people in the community community. Uh, there are a lot of people in the community contributing to this effort. Um, but I think when I kind of put my finger in the wind and, and look, this, the, the wind seems to be blowing this direction. I think I, the, this, this makes, you know, and this is for the non-technical folks, this is going to make your development environments much easier to maintain. Um, gone are the days of we need to bring on another developer and it's going to take four to five days just to get their environment up and running before they can even write code or even start to understand how they can contribute. So that one, it's going to get your developers up to speed a ton faster. And two, as we'll see with some of these guests we're going to talk to, uh, it opens up new ways to deploy Sitecore um, than going out to AWS or Azure and, and getting um, and, and just renting virtual machines and installing Sitecore that way. Um, 
what ultimately this allows us to do is take the same image that your developers are using to develop your code and deploy that exact same image out to production um, and then have it run there. Um, and as we'll get to in other uh, episodes, there this brings up its own challenges. If you're a developer, you've, you've got maybe a, a content management instance and a content delivery instance. But in production, you may have multiple content delivery instances. And how do we coordinate those? And how do we know if they're up? And how do we know if they're still running? And there is a lot of tooling around that, that your operations and, and DevOps folks can plug into to understand and automate a lot of this deployment. So again, uh, I, I wanted to keep this first episode talking about Docker pretty high level. Stay tuned to the podcast. Uh, like I said, I'm lining up some guests with some folks that are very at the forefront of Using this technology, this new containerized technology for running Sitecore, I think it's kind of the way of the future um, for both local development environments and QA environments, as well as deploying to production. Um, it brings with it some complications, but I think it also brings with it quite a bit of power uh, and flexibility. Um, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining me and uh, keep on listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.